Today we'll be talking about faith, and the title of our talk today is Faith That Doesn't Sink. Faith That Doesn't Sink. Mark chapter 6, we'll be going through uh, the end part of the chapter. We'll be starting in verse 45, going through 56. All right, so let's pray, then we'll get started. Jesus, we uh, come into your presence humbly. Um, Lord, you have called each one of us to follow you, and you have every right to, to call us out of our life, to change our plans, to change the way we thought we'd be living our life or the way we want to live our life. You have every right to call us out of that, and, and uh, to call us to follow you. Um, even if there wasn't a promise of joy and peace and, and uh, all the blessings that you give, even if it was just to follow you because you said so, it would be the right thing to do uh, to follow you. Um, so God, I just pray that each one of us would seriously look and consider what it, what it means that I'm a Christ follower, that I do not follow my own way, but I follow his way. Jesus, we want you to open the eyes of our hearts and, and keep our flesh from distracting us, keep us uh, from trying to figure out uh, how we can still have our own way and follow you. Jesus, we need um, to be fully, recklessly abandoned to following you so that so that we can know you in a real, deep, and intimate way. God, we don't want a, a life, a Christian life, we don't want our existence to be just surface level. We want to really go deep, and I, I have a feeling that that will be very uncomfortable, it will be very difficult, but to know you is a treasure beyond all compare. So we want to know you more. It's hard for us to set aside time, to really set aside distractions. God, it's hard to focus for very long because there's so much of this world that wants our attention. And God, we pray that you would help us to be able to see what you have for us today. Amen. So our word today is about faith. We're going to talk about faith. And uh, faith is simply believing what God declares to the point that we reckon it more reliable and true than how we think, feel, or what we see around us. I'm going to read that, that working definition for us again today. Faith is simply believing what God declares to the point that we reckon it more reliable and true than what we think, what we feel, or what we see. So with that being our, our working definition today, do you have faith? Or do you make decisions based on how you feel, what you think, or what you see around you? That's the kind of faith we're going to be talking about today. Do we know what God says in, in his word? Well, yeah. Do we believe it, though? 
Do we believe it? We're going to use an illustration to test ourselves. I'm going to call this the dead faith test. The dead faith test, okay? What is dead faith? To explain, it's, it's like the kind of faith that would lead a man to take a medicine bottle out of his cabinet and look at the instructions on it and say, I'm sure these are correct. I have all the confidence in the source of this medicine. I know who wrote these directions. I know, I believe everything about this medicine. I know this will relieve my headache or my gas or my insomnia or my narcolepsy if I just take it. But he takes that medicine and he puts it right back on the shelf and he doesn't get cured. He doesn't lose his headache. It continues on. He, yet he can say that he believes that medicine. I believe in that medicine, right? I believe all about that medicine, but he still won't take it. And that illustrates what dead faith is. You know the medicine, you believe the medicine, but you refuse to take the medicine. So the dead faith test is this. Do you still have your spiritual headache? Do you still have your spiritual headache? Easy test. His promise is true. Oh yeah, I believe it. His ability is perfect. He's God. He's all powerful. Oh, it's so great. He's willing to give you all that he's ever promised to anyone. He's, he's already offered it to you. So the issue is never with him. Our issue is always with us. We have not taken the medicine. We have not received all that Christ has offered to give us. So how do we take the medicine? It's a good question. Well, by faith, but we're gonna, I'm going to read a portion of, the, of John chapter 653 to you guys. Uh, and it says this. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. So there's your medicine. Creepy, right? Gross. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's the medicine. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is, uh, for um, what's it say? I lost my place. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. So there's an eternal medicine available for us for any condition that, that is spiritually happening in our lives. So what does that mean to take that medicine? How do I eat his body and drink his blood? Because that sounds creepy. And I don't really know how to do it. So we have communion sitting right over here with crackers and juice. So we can mistakenly think that what Jesus is asking us to do is believe in magic. That, that if we just 
eat a cracker and drink um, this juice, that it magically becomes his body and blood. And by doing an action, a work of eating it, that, you, that God will say, oh, I have to fix everything in your life now. That's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Well, in your Bible, what I read was John six fifty three through 58. If you back up in his conversation to verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Who com- uh, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So right there, Jesus told us how to eat his body and drink his blood. It has nothing to do with your mouth and your throat. It has to do with your heart. Come to him and believe in him. Come to him and believe in him. That is how we take our medicine. That is how we show that we don't just believe, we don't just say we believe in Christ, but we're actually receiving him. Do you come to him and do you believe in him? Oh, I, I have these problems. I have, I have this issue in my family. I have this issue at work. And Jesus says, do you believe in me? Do you have faith? Let's see what you do. Do you come to me and do you trust me, believe in me? Or do you try to figure out and and make solutions to those issues yourself without coming to me? Oh, you can say you're a Christian all day long. You can say you're a Christ follower, but if you're not coming to him and believing what he says... There is a disconnect there. And he says, you're not actually living by faith. Well, that's what faith looks like, real faith, walking by faith, living by faith. That's, that's what deep faith lo- it looks like. And, and God is training us how to walk by faith. He's training us. Everything you are going through right now is part of his faith walking 101 that you have been enrolled in. If, you decide, if you've told Jesus, I want to follow you, he says, welcome to class. And this class is all about walking by faith. If you don't want to go to class, I guess you can ditch, but it doesn't mean you're not going to get the credits. For, you know, you're going you're gonna to be lagging in your development and in your life. You're not going to accomplish what you should be. So walking by faith. Another way to describe walking by faith would be to make repeated choices to reckon his word and promises to be true and to depend on his word and promises in multiple tests of your faith. One more time. To make repeated choices to reckon his word and promises to be true and to depend on those in multiple tests of your faith. Yesterday, you had a test of your faith, and you succeeded. You, you trusted the Lord. Guess what's going to happen today? Another test. But you know what happens? We get shocked that we have another difficulty to deal with. I thought if I followed Christ, everything would be easy But that's not what he said. That's not what happens. All right. So with all that being said, we're going to learn about walking by faith. 
let's start and get into our text here because it's a really exciting part of Mark chapter 6 where um, Jesus is going to walk on the water. So let's see what happens. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. And does anyone remember what just happened? They cross on the boat, and then what happened that day? All day long, he fed the 5,000, right? A little boy had a couple fish and little, little crackers and little loaves of bread, and Jesus fed 20,000 people. But now he makes his disciples get immediately into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, uh, while he sent the multitude away. So Jesus sends his disciples across the lake, knowing full well that a storm is coming. Okay? Um, why would a loving God send us right into a storm? Ah! Let us pray. Just kidding. You guys have learned. <laughs> That's it. It's simple, right? To test our faith, right? Okay. Um, it's not just that he allowed the storm, but he used it purposefully. And that's very important for us to understand the, the difficulties in your life. Maybe you have one person that is just a, the bane in your side, just the, the thorn in your flesh. And you're like, why God? I, I believe God, you're using this, but you know, if it were up to you and if it were up to me, I would, I would use something else. God doesn't see it like that. He says, I've put this person into your life because I love you and I'm in charge of all things and I'm in, I'm, I understand how difficult this is, but it's for you. It's because I love you that you're going to go through this, all right? Jesus is still committed to teaching his disciples, his followers, about a deeper walk of faith right here. And they just saw the miracle of, of Jesus, you know, lovingly feeding, providing a meal for 20,000 people. Just crazy. But these chosen disciples need to go deeper than that, okay? They can't just think of Jesus when everything is great. They can't just follow Jesus when everything is easy. He needs disciples who will be ready to suffer and go through difficult things with him instead of running at the first sign of danger. They must know, be able to know their Lord when everything is terrible. How is your demeanor when life sucks? Do you get down and depressed? And how, how is it that we respond? Things are not always easy, but Jesus has promised us we can have joy. I, uh, you guys hear what's going on in China? It was like a, what's it called, coronavirus? Some, some virus out there. Well, we, I got a friend down in the Springs, and he said it's very, very, very bad. Uh, much worse. I mean, he's like, they're, they're thinking it may be like chemical warfare and the population control from the government. That's what the Chinese people are saying, uh, that this is really bad. And it, yeah, it's man-made, and there's this one city, Wuhan or something, and, and 800,000 people are infected in this one city. Yeah, I know, and there's a few cases in, in America. Um, and um, there's a lot of believers in this, in this situation. Okay? They have something really to be worried about. This, they, they might all die. This might be their last week on the earth 
But believers in Christ and Christ followers, we have something that the world does not have. We can have peace. We can have joy and we, we have him walking with us. I don't think we realize how great we have it. You know, when you get to heaven, there will never be a word spoken of your sin. Your sin has been washed away. And, you, and it is, it is, that is such good news. We got someone dancing in the back. We got <laughs> the Lord is so good to us. And we have this everlasting peace, this gospel. But we get so bummed out when our car breaks down. We get so frustrated when people are jerks. We get, we get so um, narrow, uh, nearsighted. Instead of looking at the long distance, what God is doing in our lives and has done for us, we're looking at what is right in front of us and how, how, how frustrated it makes us feel. Walking by faith is going to help us with this. It's hard to trust God when things look hopeless. It's hard to trust God when we're tired, but we're going to learn to do it. It's hard to trust God when we're hurting, but you're going to learn that, to trust God when you're hurting. It's hard to trust God when we're questioning why, but we're going to learn to do it. It's hard to trust God when we're desperate, when it feels like it's out of control and, the, and life is about to just, I just can't take it anymore, but God is going to teach you to trust him then. It is so hard to trust God when we're discouraged, isn't it? We feel like things are not living up to our expectations or what we thought it was going to be. And Jesus says, I'm going to teach you. You must trust me. It's so hard when our hearts melt in our chest and we feel like there's nothing there, when we're in pain or when we're broken to trust in the Lord. But this is what when our faith is in a refining fire, just like gold that they put in a fire, our faith needs to be refined and purified so that when those t- difficult times and the, the troubles come and the sickness comes, we can keep that faith and say, I'm gonna, I can trust in the Lord. I've learned that I must trust in the Lord and I will trust in the Lord even when it doesn't look like he's going to show up, even when it looks like everyone's going to die, I'm going to trust in the Lord. Jesus, he wants his disciples to see his glory. Do you remember Moses when he was uh, up on the mountain with God and he made that request with God, I want to, God, show me your glory. Okay, And God, what did God do? He covered him with his hand, and he passed by, and he let him see his afterglory wafting through the air, right? And here we have Jesus. He wants to show these 12 disciples the real glory. He wants them to actually see it. They haven't even really asked him, but he is wanting to reveal it to them. You know, Moses may have been one of the last people to ask to see his glory, but here Jesus is pursuing a relationship with his followers. He wants to show you something. 
He's put you in a boat. He's got trials coming because he wants you to know him the way he really is. He doesn't want, he doesn't want superficial followers. He wants deep relationships with him. He wants them to know his power that will forever change them, his glory. He wants his beloved disciples to know that he really loves them because they still don't get it. Right now, his disciples still don't get it. And so let's see what it says. And he sent them away, the people that he'd fed, and he departed to the mountain to pray. So we find out from John that these people at this point were going to try to force Jesus to become their king, but Jesus is not interested in being their king right now because that's not what his father had planned for him. And so Jesus needed to go speak with his father about many things. So he goes up on this mountain to pray, and he knew that his disciples were going to need help. Um, And he needed to be empowered by a, a living relationship with his father, so he prays. And this is a wonderful example for us when we know that other people are also going to be going through difficult times and they're going to need encouragement and love. The best thing you can do for them is you go away and commune with God and get his heart for the situation that they're going through and then come back and offer them uh, help and the love that they need. Okay? Right here, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, which tells us about Jesus. It says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what does Jesus live for? To supply what we need. To give us. That's his passion. That's his mission. Whether we need forgiveness or joy or help, or resources, or strength, or love, or patience, or kindness, or gentleness, or self-control, or endurance, or boldness, or a miracle. Jesus loves and lives to make that happen for you. He wants, he's promised that that's what he lives for. And so what we do is we come to him alone when we need any of those things. We got to learn to stop going to other sources for those things. We have to come to him alone and pray and wait for him and give him a chance to give us what we ask for. With my son Jordan, we finished reading this week the George Mueller book about his life and and I was just struck again by the, the um, passion that he had for letting God provide everything. He never asked anyone over 60 years for a penny. And he took care of 10,000 orphans, all their needs, and supplied everything they needed for their whole lives, including their, their, their college tuitions and everything for 10,000 orphans. And he, he, it wasn't even hard for him. Because he was so committed that Jesus loves to give me what I need. And I'm going to let him. I'm going to trust him. And that's where faith really goes deeper. So I know that there are some things that could make me happy. If I went out and and searched out for these things. But that's not living by faith. 
I can allow God. God says, I will give you joy if you'll come to me first and wait upon me. And, Jesus, and that's what we're, where we will discover that living for him by living by faith is so much better and more reliable than living by what we see or what we have offered to us in this world. So the next, it goes on, it says, Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing, at rowing, for the wind was against them. So I want you to think about, imagine yourself as one of the disciples in this boat. Jesus told you to get in the boat and go to the other side. All night long, you've been rowing. So all night long, it appeared that they were alone. It appeared that they had been forgotten from their perspective and abandoned. But Jesus, it says, saw them. He was watching. He saw them in their pain and in their struggle, and it wasn't their fault. He wasn't looking at them saying, oh, I'm so disappointed in you guys. Why couldn't you get across this lake? Why haven't you invented the turbine engine yet? It wasn't their fault. They weren't being punished. It wasn't their fault that it seemed like they were making no progress. Have you ever been there where you felt like you were making no progress in your marriage, in your, in your ministry, in your job, in your life? You felt like you were striving against the wind and you're like, I didn't even, I'm just trying to follow you, Jesus. One night there was a house that caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof or roof. The father stood on the ground below with his outstretched arms and he was calling out to his son, jump and I'll catch you. And he knew that the boy had to jump to save his life. But all the boy could see, however, was flames and smoke and blackness. And so, as you can imagine, he was afraid to jump. His father kept yelling, jump and I will catch you. But the boy protested, daddy, I can't see you. And the father replied, but I can see you and that's all that matters. Faith has nothing to do with what you see. It's, do I trust that my Father sees me? That He is there for me, that He is going to catch me. These disciples, they were being watched, they were being prayed for, they were even being loved from a distance. Have you ever had a long night like this? You know, where everything seemed like it was against you, where God seemed silent and you were asking him, why? Where are you, God? What did I do? What are you going to do? I'm going to give you a, the correct question to ponder when you're in these, these nights, okay? Not, where are you, God? But instead of that, replace it with, who are you, God? Why does that make a difference? Because God has put you into that trial so that you can know him deeper. That's why you're there. 
and he will reveal himself to you when you truly ask and want to know him. That is one thing that, that just drives me bananas. When people say, ah, I, I, I'd like to know who God is, but he won't talk to me. And I'm like, yes, he will. Either you're lying or he's lying, so you're lying. Because he doesn't lie. He said he will reveal himself to any who ask and seek and knock. As simple as that. The door will be opened. You will find. He will come to you and commune with you and, and, and spend time with you. He loves that. So open your word and seek him and he won't be long. It won't take a long time before you find that you're really connecting with him. But we don't open our Bibles. We want to try everything else first before we go to him and believe his words. Like Jesus said, just come to me. Come to me. Now, our text goes on. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. See, look, I told you it wouldn't take long. The fourth watch of the night is about 3 a.m. And it says uh, he was walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. And when, he, when they saw him walking on the sea, that means that he was walking faster than they were swimming or rowing. Uh, and, and they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all, all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them. Okay? His intention all along was to help them and to teach them because he loves them. All right? They thought that they were in a helpless situation because no one can walk on water in a stormy sea to save them. They thought they were alone on the sea. They thought nobody can help me. They thought they were on their own. But Jesus walks on the water because he's not limited by the things we think are limitations. He's God, and the power of God and the love of God he has for his children. But wait, he just talks with them. Why doesn't he calm the storm first? Why doesn't he change my situation first and make things easier for me? It's a good question, but let's see what he actually says to them. And I think you'll understand why this, this information that he's going to give them is so much more important than even calming the situation that they're in. They need to know this. So first he says, and he said to them, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. So three things right there. These are so important for us to, to know. Be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. The first one, be of good cheer, means take heart and be encouraged. God doesn't rebuke them right here. Jesus is so gentle. He's so encouraging. He, yes, he tells us truth when we need to hear the truth that we might not want to hear, but he's absolutely the most gentle and kind person that has ever lived. Love and patience ooze out of every encouragement, out of every word that he says. This is the first thing he speaks to his disciples in their trouble. I'm not mad at you. What does the devil want us to think when we go through hard times? 
God is mad at you. But Jesus says, I am not mad at you. I am with you. I am for you. And I never left you. I've always had my eye on you. And the deeper thing here is Jesus is saying, I love you. I love you. And no storm and no sea is going to stop me from loving you. Isn't it wonderful to hear that when you come to church on Sundays? And it's wonderful to hear it when you spend time with the Lord and he will say it. I love you and I am not mad at you. Where is your sin? It is nailed to the cross. There is nothing that separates you and me. We are united and I am here with you. The second thing that he says is, it is I. Now, if we were Greek scholars, we would read that, and it says, literally, I am. What does that make you think of? Yeah. He's, the, he's saying, I am. He's quoting the exact name of God from the entire Old Testament. When Moses asked, what is your name? God said, I am. You are what? He says, fill in the blank. I am whatever you need. You need me there with you. You need savior. You need provision. You need love. I am. I am all of those things. Jesus here makes the most explicit statement. I am God. I'm not mad at you. And I am God. I am everything you need. He's, he's revealing his identity to them. If they wanted to know what God was like, Jesus is saying, here I am. But is God mad at me? No. But what would God think about this or that? Jesus says, look at me. I am God. He's using the name of God for his own identity, and he's fully revealing himself to his students. These guys knew the name of God. These guys knew their Bibles. They were students of the Old Testament. They understood what Jesus was saying. Um, so let's, let's look at the third thing he says here. He says, do not be afraid. Again, in Greek, this is in the present active imperative. So that means, literally, stop fearing now and never fear anything ever again. That's what Jesus said. I am not mad at you. I am God. So don't ever be afraid of anything and stop being afraid now. Our lives seem to be dominated by fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if they never change? What if this, that, or the other? And Jesus gives them the, the most wonderful application here. He says, fear and faith don't go together. I'm teaching you how to walk by faith. And the first thing you need to know is, I'm not mad at you. The second thing you need to know is, I'm God. I'm all-powerful. And the third thing is, you've got to realize you can't be afraid. You can't fear. You can't live your life by fear because that's the opposite of faith. If you're afraid of anything in this world, you don't really know who God is and you, you haven't learned to trust him the way he needs to be trusted. Fear. Then it says that he went up into the boat with them. 
And the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. So now that Jesus has talked with them and revealed himself to them, now he calms the windstorm. And they get the point. They were, they were blown away. <laughs> Another gospel says that they were, as soon as he got in the boat, they were instantly at their destination. Just another miraculous thing that he did. Another gospel says that this was the time when Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus. But I thought Mark was the book that was Peter's account of Jesus's life. It is. So something about that story was either embarrassing to Peter, maybe because he doubted and fell and almost drowned, or maybe he didn't want to be exalted and so he just left that part out. Who knows? It says here, the most ama- this is what Peter wants us to understand. Because right? Peter's the one, again, hit, this is his account, the book of Mark. And it, it says, for they had not understood about the loaves. What is he talking about? What we learned about last week, the, the 20,000 people that were fed, because their hearts were hardened. He says here that, that this whole thing happened, Jesus walking on the water and Jesus revealing who he is to them, that this whole thing happened because they did not understand about the loaves. Peter makes this connection. Well, that's really weird. But see, the loaves weren't about filling up people's bellies. But that's what the disciples were thinking. Oh, he just wants to eat a meal with them. The loaves were a foreshadow of Jesus' own life being broken and sacrificed and given to the people. That's what the loaves were really about. He is the bread of life, as he says. He is the source of all life, God incarnate, the I am. And and he says here, knowing who God is, is a heart thing and not a head thing. They didn't understand with their minds about the loaves. It was confusing to them because their hearts had a problem. Understanding The way things work is the reward of faith. And that is so weird to us. It doesn't make sense. Augustine said it this way. Seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Don't try to understand to believe. He says, believe first and then believe you will understand. Because the knowledge of God, knowing who God is, is experiential. In 2 Peter 3.18, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's something that we grow in. You can't understand how Jesus can be all you need and satisfy all your desires until your heart is soft. And what does a soft heart look like? Humility and So when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever uh, they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they had laid sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might uh, just touch the hem of his garment, that they might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him, were made well. So here we have a kind of a summary of his ministry 
up until those days. And here we're reminded of the, his character and his mission that he, um, he's showing us what it looks like to deny self and care about others. And he is empowered. He has the power and ability to supernaturally give God's blessing to people and, and heal them. And, and what's really amazing here is it shows that he has no favoritism. He heals everyone the same. No one who wants to be healed is turned away. No one who ever needs anything is rejected. What was the only thing required for them to be healed? Faith in him. So they had to ask him. They had to come to him. If they didn't, if they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, then what would they do? They would stay in their house and not go to where he was. But wherever they heard he was, they would come. And so all the people that ever came to him were healed. And that is, that is amazing. Because there's so many people that I find in our world today that would like to be healed. And we tell them, Jesus can bring you spiritual life and healing. And the response is, I'd rather do something else. I'd rather try something else. Let me... Let me do the whole psychology thing first. Let me, let me do what the world says. Let me do what everyone else in the world says first before I come to Jesus. It's even a, a phrase in our, our society. He had a come to Jesus moment, which means he, was, he had tried everything else and he gave up finally. How, how is that faith? Well, you can come to him at the end but it would have been so much easier and you would have been healed so much quicker by coming to him at the beginning. Do we really come to Jesus? Do we believe that he is God and, and he's everything we need? Do we, are we walking with deep faith? There's no sickness he will not heal. No heart that he won't touch. No person is too lost or too broken. Jesus is capable. And when are we going to realize that there's no other savior? It's just Jesus. So in closing, I just want to ask you this one question. Are you in a boat struggling and straining with all your might against an invisible and terrible wind? Does it seem like you're making no progress? You might even feel lost or abandoned. And you might be a little bit resentful because you feel like Jesus is the one who asked you to get into this boat in the first place. Let me just tell you, Jesus sees you and he is praying for you and he will show up because he loves you. Not because you earn his help, but because he simply loves you. He is something we call one-way love. He loves you because you have nothing to offer him. He just loves you for the sake of love. And he will keep loving you even if you never come to him, even if you never turn to him, even if you never serve him, even if you never do anything right, he still loves you because he is love. He loves with no thought of what he's going to get back. He's selfless. And he's willing to, to be patient with us 
until we learn to walk with him in faith, which is simply what? Walk with him believing that he loves you. We really doubt that he loves us. When we're lost and when we're struggling, it seems like the last thing we want to think is, well, God loves me still. But Jesus is saying that's the first thing that should be on your mind. Jesus and his love is the object of our faith. It literally is what we're putting our faith in. We're supposed to have faith in what? That he loves you in his love. And to grow in his faith means to grow in understanding how much he loves you. Remember our our test of dead faith? Dead faith says, oh, I know all about Jesus, but I don't actually expect him to step in and deliver me because I really don't believe that he loves me. Why would I wait for him? Why would I go to him in his word? He's not going to do anything. That's what dead faith is. Makes me cry too. All right, so we're done. Faith is tough. It's tough to trust in the Lord because everything in our world and spiritually, there's voices that we hear that say that that God doesn't love you. Don't put yourself out there. You know what? Every time you put yourself out there, people have let you down and so God's going to do the same thing. Every time you have, you have just thought, maybe I could be loved, you've been brokenhearted and God will do the same thing. Anyone heard those voices in their, in their heart? I certainly have. And Jesus is yelling and screaming in this room today into your spirit saying, I do love you. I will never abandon you. And I'm asking you to believe it to trust me. Follow me. It's hard. It's hard to follow him because, man, things are tough. This storm is not going away, it seems like. So let's, would you guys all stand with me? We're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to spend some time drawing near to the Lord. And if there's, you know, if you want to, to grow deeper in faith, have a conversation with the Lord about it and say, Lord, I I want you. I want to know you the way the disciples were taught about you. I I want to follow you. Jesus, forgive us for how much we walk by flesh, how much we um, need to learn to walk by faith. Uh, Lord, I know that you're not mad at us, but you are calling us all to fully trust you. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that we hang on to or return to before you, Lord, we want to repent and give those things up for you. Jesus, I know that we're not the most talented, we're not the most um, When, it, when we look, if the world were to look at us, they would laugh at us. But God, we are broken. And we want to trust you. 
You see things not like the world sees. You see when people have faith. And God, I pray that you would be creating golden faith, real faith, pure faith in our hearts. We have nothing massive to offer this world. We have nothing uh, that impresses anybody. But God, I know Jesus, when you say, said that when you come back, are you going to find faith? And I pray that the answer is yes. That you will find people who will simply trust you and look to you and call upon you and wait for you.